Most of us have been coached in thinking body fat is just fat, and there's just nothing that can be less true than that. For over 70 years, we've had these prescriptions for dealing with body fat, and not one was ever based on what's true about body fat. When you inventory the research for obese people, what you consistently see is they're lacking their fitter bacteria and necromancia, and when you're given those two bacteria, they get lean. The gut and our body fat have a connection, but it goes much deeper than that. When you look at super long-lived people, they seem to have higher levels of serum like omega fats, and they seem to neutralize oxidation of those fats. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Okay, friends, I don't know the last time I had an episode as requested as this episode. I aired part one with Joel Green, the author of The Immunity Code, a few months ago now, and I had it set up as a two-parter right from the beginning. It's actually the only time, yes, the only time I requested of the guest right at the beginning to record for four hours so that we could do a two-parter because Joel's book is just a cornucopia catalog, mind-blowing explosion of information. There is so much there. I knew it had to be a two-parter. I released part one. I've been getting requests weekly to release part two. So I actually had it scheduled a little bit later, but I'm just going to release it now so you guys will stop asking me. Um, So here it is. Get excited. I will just let the episode speak for itself but I really think you guys will enjoy it. Have no fear. There is a full transcript in the episode show notes. Those will be at melanieavalon.com slash immunity code two. There will also be an episode giveaway for this episode. For that, just join my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, intermittent fasting plus real foods plus life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. Speaking of love, if you are loving this podcast, it would mean the absolute world. If you could do two things, subscribe to the show in iTunes. It really, really helps with getting the podcast out there. And then if you ever have a moment to write a brief review, oh my goodness, that would also just mean the world. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful part two conversation with Joel Green, the author of The Immunity Code. It's incredible. While we're still in the the low carb world side of things, so you talk about in the book the potential problems with I, I think it was a low carb diets and something called 4HME. Yeah, that was would you like to talk a little bit about that? And I've yeah, I have other questions about it as well. But all this is under the aegis of one thing, and it's that sustained high fat feeding probably breaks the mitochondria over time. Okay. And there's very good reasons for this. So in my book, I tackled an aspect of that that was something most people could probably get their arms around or at least you know, generate a lot of interest in, you're going to retain a lot more if it's, if it's personal to you. And so I used keto diets as an example. And there is what's, so there is a, there is a byproduct, it's called an electrophile. There's a byproduct of pushing certain types of fats or pushing fats through the mitochondria. And it's called 4-HNE, 4-hydroxyanonino. And 4-HNE is what's called an electrophile. It is an oxidized phospholipid. It's a highly, highly reactive molecule. 
So it has a bunch of different side chains and they can react in different ways. And it seems to interact with the protein that the mitochondria needs to be bendable into, into, forms, into form these little globules with cardiolipin. And it seems to basically break that and in turn breaks the mitochondria if you have too much of it. And in my book, I present this idea called duality, biological duality. And it's the idea that most things work both ways. And if you want to understand how they work both ways, number one, you got to track them over time. And then you've got to look at sort of the other things like how much and, and what amounts and different things to understand how they're going to work. So, and the relatable analogy is water, like, you know, the right amount of water every day promotes life, too much water, you know, too fast will kill you. And it's the same with everything. So 4-HNE is something that you see at the start of high fat feeding or particular keto diets, and you'll see increased production of 4-HNE and it's highly beneficial in the short term. So you get an upregulation of glutathione within the mitochondria and it confers a benefit and it's, and it's cytoprotective. And then what happens over time though, is it can accumulate. So as 4-HNE begins to accumulate, then you start to see sort of a range of effects in different types of cells. So, and it seems to have opposing effects in cancer cells versus non-cancer cells. So in certain types of cancer cells, it seems to kill them, which is great. And you can probably explain some percentage of why the keto diet works on cancer by explaining 4-HNE. Then the other side of that is that in non-cancerous cells, in low amounts in non-cancerous cells for short durations, it's probably highly beneficial. In sustained amounts over time, or in increased amounts sustained over time in, in non-cancerous cells, it could even promote cancer onset because it seems to be able, to, certain types of cells seem to be able to push it next door. Like cancer cells can push 4-HNE next door to the next adjacent cell, and then you can, you can sort of see cancer onset from that. But really the, the takeaway with 4-HNE is, again, coming back to, well, what are the mechanisms? How do things really work? And when we look at diets, the question that pops up a lot is you have these hyperpolarized camps of my diet's better than yours, or my macronutrients better than yours. And for every one of those, we can find mechanisms. Whenever you see sort of imbalanced macros, we can, not imbalanced macros, but imbalanced diet protocols, you can, you can begin to see mechanisms that when sustained long-term uh, are probably not so good. The latest one that's making the rounds is uh, just went on Ben's podcast is this idea that, you know, certain types of certain types of fats like are going to drive uh, obesity because they, they generate reactive oxygen species in the mitochondria. And you can kind of call that a subset of high fat feeding really in general. And, and that sustained high fat feeding can break the mitochondria, but it's not the re it's not the reductionistic, ah, the cause. Yes, this is the reason. Are these PUFAs that you're talking about? Yes. Yes. So the, there's a, there's a theory right now. I'll, I'll probably deal with this. My friend, Ron, who again, the founder of Crest sent me a, an article several months ago about like, uh, you know, a theory of obesity. And, you know, this is the reason why obesity is, is what it is. And one of my opinion on it. And my opinion was basically that it's reductionism kind of, again, it's just baby talk because I could focus in on any one of a number of mechanisms and make a very compelling case as to this, this particular mechanism being the reason, the central cause for obesity, at the end of the day, I would be forming what's called a gestalt. A gestalt is a foreign ground relationship where I take something and I push it right in front of your face and get you to focus on it. And I take the other thing and push it in the background so you're not focused on it. And then basically, because it's all you're focused on, you'll think it's true, but it doesn't create reality. Reality is that multiple things drive obesity and they all work together. And so that's, that's kind of that whole thing. So complicated. Also within the, the fat world. So what are your thoughts on MCTs? Do they also have the same effect with 4-HNE? Do they tax the mitochondria? Do they 
tax the liver. I tend to go a little bit high sometimes on CA MCTs. So (laughs) I think about them a lot. Yeah, it depends on the, so it depends on where you're getting them from and it depends on, you know, like how much and how long you're doing them. So one of the things that we probably need to think about is things that are derived from like uh, coconut oil and, and downstream derivatives that are palmitate, palmitic acid. So there's some pretty good research on, on high fat feeding, uh, driving palmitic acid, palmitate, and then that in turn driving insulin resistance. From that, there's also some research on MCTs driving fatty liver. I would say, again, the answer becomes like protocols and balance. Like they're probably really good, you know, short term for different things. Like I, every now and then I'll use them during my amplified fast days along with like ketones every now and then, not all the time, but every now and then. And, and, and they're probably a pretty good tool to do, you know, different things. So they have a lot of benefits. It's just like anything else. I wouldn't live on them. When they're driving fatty liver, is that in the context of low carb or in the context of carbs? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know that I would know the answer to that one. Actually, I'd probably have to give that some thought. These are the type of things I think about. Omega-3s, speaking of PUFAs, one of the fascinating things you talk about in the book is the what, when, and how of omega-3s and and this concept of taking them during the fast. In general, what are your thoughts on the omegas, the polyunsaturated fatty acids? Speaking to this, I did recently have Dr. Kate Shanahan on the show and she wrote Fat Burn Fix, which is very anti-polyunsaturated fats. And I've been on the anti-polyunsaturated fat camp a little bit recently, especially like seed oils and things like that. What's and summarize for me really quick because I haven't listened to her thing. What's her what's her take? Her take is basically that refined seed oils, PUFAs, as far as like when we were told to go low fat in the 1970s, like our fat content didn't really change. What changed was the type of fats, and it was a switch to seed oils and omega sixes primarily, and that you touched on it already, but that, you know, the way they're processed in the mitochondria is inflammatory and is probably the the root cause behind all the problems that we're having today with diabetes, the obesity epidemic. I've also been in the, the repeat camp. Not, I don't, I don't consider myself any camp, but I explore the, the forms and the world of repeat. If you're familiar with his work, his thoughts are, he's all for like PUFA depletion and like, you know, not taking in barely any PUFAs. So omega-3s, omega-6s, PUFAs. What are your thoughts? I know that's reductionist, but <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's, it's actually a really, 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 really good question. The nutrition collective conscious is going through like this sort of like a butterfly, you know, like a, like a bursting out of its, like, like the, the caterpillar bursting out of its little thing and becoming a butterfly. Wait, can I share a really quick mind-blowing fact that you might already know? I just have to. Did you know that the butterfly is not the caterpillar? The caterpillar does not become the butterfly. The caterpillar dies and the butterfly is a different genetic root. Did you know this? It blew my mind. So like they think that what happened like evolutionarily was these two animals made it or something and it just maintained two sets of DNA. And so like one starts and then when it dies, the other one gets activated. That is fascinating. It's not a transformation. It's a death, <laughs> like a literal death. Huh, that is fascinating. I just had to share. Okay, sorry. No, that's, hmm, I didn't know that. I, we're going to get off this call today. I'm going to be like, okay, butterflies. I know, we're never going to look at one the same way again. Wow, that's, that's pretty fascinating, actually. In the blooming or the, the unburgeoning of like, you know, the collective consciousness and like knowledge of things, what you're seeing over time is different ideas kind of come into the foreground in 
again, come back to the idea of the gestalt. And we, we come back and looking at, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is the thing, you know, but then new knowledge comes along that rounds things out. And, and then we're like, oh, no, it's not the thing. And so it's kind of like this crowd running from one thing to another, you know, going, this is the thing. No, no, that's not the thing. This is the thing. Okay. And so lately it seems that um, there's this sort of like the, the anti-Alpha crowd that's running around and doing its thing. And so if we start with the idea that, you know, balances health, imbalances disease, just start with that. And then, and also with the idea that things can work both ways, you know, they can be good, they can be bad. Where this is going to take us is to like a more correct understanding of these things. And also the idea that whenever we hear reductionism, it's probably wrong. Whenever you hear, oh, this is the one thing, it's, it's just probably wrong. Because I can, in fact, I think I'll do it here towards the end. I'll just make an argument that's a completely different argument and it's equally compelling to any of this stuff. And you won't even be thinking about the other thing. But, and the truth will be that they're both, they both have validity to them. It's just that the answer is that there's a lot of factors involved. That's, that's the answer. Okay. The thing with PUFAs is, is that they are essential. They are absolutely essential when you study like inflammatory pathways and when you study like how inflammation works and how it gets resolved and how, how it works we have to have these things in the diet. We have to have them sort of in balance and there's good reasons for that. So we really do need a balance. So something I did once is I broke down the lipooxygenase pathway on the omega-3 side of things. And I broke it down and I actually just for someone I was showing them, you know, cause, cause that person, this person I was talking to was really into the omega-3s are bad, omega-6s are good thing. And so I broke down the pathway of showing that, okay, so you have all these downstream mediators of omega-3s, you have the eicosanoids, and then from there you get resolvins, lipoxins, protectins, you have all these sort of mediators that are necessary to resolve inflammation. And there's no getting away from the chemistry. You've got to have these things. So we, when we look at like these things in, and, their, and the role they play with things like cancer and with things like brown fat, you can't get away from them. Like they, because these, these puffas, they work on things like PPAR gamma and they work on things like PPAR gamma in the right tissues. And they do things that are very health promoting, very life promoting. That being said, they can oxidize. And so we can make a very good case that non-enzymatic lipid peroxidation is one of the primary mediators of aging. And so, you know, we see like damage to the inner mitochondrial membrane, damage to the cell wall that can be mediated through lipid peroxidation. And so you can make a case that, well, like the oxidation of fats is a primary thing that is creating damage to these very important membranes. Okay. So that's not a, that, that's a true thing. However, the body has mechanisms in place to deal with these things. The body has reductive mechanisms that have to be accounted for if you're going to make like a, a decent argument here. And so in my book, I make this case that there's kind of this, when we look at super long lived people, they, they seem to have a couple things going on. They seem to have higher levels of serum like omega fats, and they seem to neutralize oxidation of those fats. Okay. Whereas people who are just sort of average lifespan, they, they don't have that. They're not offsetting the, the lipid peroxidation in the serum and, and all that from these fats. So they're, they're, there's, it's kind of like the motor oil and the piston. Uh, you need the piston, but you also need the motor oil. The motor oil is what protects the car from wear and tear. And so these omega fats have the potential to oxidize very specific key membranes, but then there are other elements involved to buffer the, the oxidation of these things, or rather lipid peroxidation. A good example of the power of omega-3s is with fat browning. When it comes to fat browning, there's, there's some very interesting research you, know, you can look at that you know, these puffas potentiate fat browning. 
and they could be used very strategically to get white fat to, to convert to brown. And they probably work synergistically with other things like coal. And so we begin to come up, I'm working towards a protocol here. So like we, we begin to look at like these, you know, N3 puffas and what they potentiate and when and how and all that stuff. And, you know, it seems like there's a really good home for them probably when we're, we're on an amplified fast or a fasting day. And then, you know, we're going to offset some of the potential oxidation with things like some red phenols at the same time. And then we're going to time them strategically to being cold. And so you kind of begin to see where I'm going with this. They're neither good nor bad. I'm just working towards using them strategically and I'm offsetting and mitigating the negative aspects potentially that are there. What you'll hear a lot of is sort of these newer arguments that, well, they're the, they're, they're the cause of all evil, you know, and that's just really not true. It's just not accurate. So I can make a case. Let me do this now. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to not refute those arguments, but I'm going to, I'm going to do a just stall. I'm going to take, I'm going to take the puffers are bad and pull it in the background and put something else in the foreground. And you're going to forget about puffas by the time I'm done. You're going to think, oh my gosh, this is the thing. Okay. And then I'm going to pull that back and I'm going to show you how they both contribute. Okay. So when we look at obesity and we see that inflamed fat is a big deal, like that's, that's like, seems to be an issue with obesity and it seems to be what's driving obesity. So we go, well, what's inflaming fat? So there's a very interesting thing that happens when the gut is compromised you're going to get an excess of lipopolysaccharide into your fat tissue. It's called tissue translocation. And lipopolysaccharide in the presence of your adipose mass will create what's called, you're going to get macrophages concentrated in your fat that are inflammatory by their very nature. A macrophage is the first line of defense in the immune system. They're, they're kind of like the first the strike team, the first one to get in there. And there's, there's different kinds of macrophages. But for simplicity's sake, there's the inflammatory killers, and then there's the, the healers. And in my book, I call the killers the red team, the healers the blue team. So you see something very interesting. In the presence of lipopolysaccharide, there is, there is an NAD salvage pathway that gets amplified. And what you see is that NAD phosphoribotransferase, which is an enzyme necessary to salvage NAD, gets hyperactivated in macrophages. And then what it does is it causes clustering of macrophages in your body fat. And then what that does is you get this inflammatory cascade mediated by macrophage uh, populations in your body fat, all caused by lipopolysaccharide translocating from the gut into your fat. Okay. And so now what you have is this inflammatory issue in your fat that supplemental NAD will feed. It'll feed the fire of this because you've got these populations of macrophages that depend on NAD saturating your fat that are putting out these inflammatory signals. And the thing about body fat is that it's a reservoir of very specific types of cells that concentrate senescent cells. So what happens is you'll see this magnification of senescent cells in your body fat, and then your body fat acts like this inflammatory megaphone. And this will cause all these sort of downstream issues. It'll cause changes in the ECM. It'll cause specific proteins, specific collagens to be deposited in the ECM that stiffen the ECM. And we haven't even gotten to body fat. We're going to spend a good chunk of time on this here because it's so critical. But what you, what you see here is that basically from this little thing, tissue translocation of lipopolysaccharide, we see imbalances of immune cells in body fat that inflames your fat mass. Are you thinking about puffers right now? I'm not. Oh my goodness. It worked. I was like, I was like I'm still going to be thinking about them. Oh. <laughs> so what I just did, I just did a gestalt. It's like a magic trick. <laughs> Well, that's exactly what's going on. Magicians know something. They know that if they can control your focus, that they control how you think. 
And so by controlling your focus and getting you focused on something else, it's entirely true, entirely true. I've controlled your mind by getting you to think this is the one thing. But the reality is both of these things matter. And, and it isn't just both of these things. There's other things in the picture. So what this takes us back to is what I started the program with, how things really work. And I'll tell you how they don't work. They usually don't work reduc reductionistically. They usually don't work that way. And when you hear these reductionistic arguments, you can probably be pretty certain that it's not all the picture. So what I just did here was took us from forgetting about PUFAs to entirely focus on LPS and tissue translocation and macrophages and um, NAD salvage and macrophages. And now I'm just bringing it back into like, mm, actually, there's truth to both. You can oxidize lipids. Those can damage the mitochondria. That can have an issue. But also you can... Do you, see where, do you see where this is going? Do you see what's happening here? Like, for example, so say that we get uh, damaged mitochondria from, I've never heard it called PUFAs, but PUFAs, whatever they are. Like, could that also beckon for macrophages and continue that whole cascade? Depends on the tissue. Depend, depends on the tissue that we're talking about here. If, if we're talking about body fat, then that's a whole discussion. You know, that's, that's kind of its own thing. So for listeners, because that, that was a lot. Do you mind if I like recap what you just said and you can tell me if I heard it right and then I might define some terminology for listeners along the way, especially if we, if we dive into body fat, they'll probably just so they have a good idea of what these words mean. So it sounds like, so lipopolysaccharide, like I said, the bane of my existence, which is created from gut bacteria and it's registered as a massive toxin by the body. So it often creates a inflammatory response. Although side note, are you familiar with Wim Hof? We're, we're talking about like cold things. Mm -hmm. um, I recently had him on the show. Oh, wow. I know. It was like the most motivating conversation I've ever had. He's so inspirational. I am obsessed with the cold though. That's a whole tangent. Sure. Well, it's part of, it's part of the body fat thing. We'll bring it into that too. Oh, perfect. Perfect. One of my favorite things from his work is the studies they've done on like injecting people with lipopolysaccharide and then them doing his breath work. I don't know if it was paired with cold, but basically it modulated the like IL-6, IL-8, IL-10 immune response so that it was less inflammatory, which made me so excited because I think I run, walk around in fear of LPS. But in any case, so LPS from gut bacteria translocating across the, the gut, ending up in our fat stores, creating an inflammatory situation because like I said, the body registers it as severe toxin recruits, the body sends out these macrophages, which are these cells that basically I think it means like, like eater or something. And they go and they eat, <laughs> they, you know, trying to get rid of the, uh, the invader or whatever it may be. But in the process creates a lot of inflammation because, you know, anytime there's a war, there's going to be an inflammatory response. And then you were saying that, and this is a mindset shift, but that NAD, which I've talked about a lot in this show, and I've had a lot of episodes about, which is a key, a key player in our, our health. And normally I see it as a good thing, but you're saying when there's excess NAD in the situation, the macrophages, which are trying to clean up the situation, but are inflammatory that, you know, they're using this excess NAD. So it's just perpetuating more and more inflammation. Is that sort of? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Actually really, really well done. You know, it just takes us back to, it could be good. It could be bad, you know, and, and if you're listening, you're listening to this, you, you know, part of you 
part of your brain wants to give up and go, oh, I give up. I don't know. What but I encourage you to not do that because the way that I learned all this stuff was just in baby steps. You know, like, like, like I couldn't understand all these big words all at once, but I could understand one stupid little simple thing. I just started with that. And then I just learned one more little thing. And so by just learning one more little thing, you can become quite formidable, much, much faster than you think. We're in a, we're in a different era now. The way we learned has been decoupled from physical locations like colleges and schools and people. And you can learn at an exponential rate if you choose to. So it's an amazing time if you're curious and if you like to learn because you can, you can learn at such an accelerated rate that it's never been possible before in human history. So, so don't, don't get intimidated. You know, it's taken me a long, 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 long time, you know, to just put all these things together. And the truth is that some things in life ask a lot more of you. And when it comes to, when it comes to getting more out of your years, getting the most valuable thing possible, more time, it's not, it's not McKnowledge, you know, it's not a happy meal. It, it asks more of you. And it's, you know, sad to say it's not for the many because the many in many cases don't want to don't want to learn the how they don't want to learn it's too, it's too much but i think if you're listening to this you do and it's for you so just be patient and you'll you'll pick it all up you will it just takes exposure multiple times hi friends do you want to come hang out with me and dave asprey and so many other guests i've had on the show you simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. 
There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10 year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. That was one reason I loved your book so much because it's such a wealth of knowledge, you know, all within these pages. And I read it so slow. Like... <laughs> I read like a little bit every single night because it was just so much to take in, but it it was really, really, really incredible. So listeners definitely get the book. There's just so much in there. There's this counterintuitive thing that happens when in the case of inflamed fat, particularly obesity, we see these imbalances of specific types of immune cells, particularly macrophages. And there are certain things that these macrophages do, they, they, they carry with them a cargo. That cargo is a chemical signature. And 
a different way to look at disease is to look at the cargo carried by these macrophages in terms of its chemical signature. The chemical signature is high oxygen output, high sugar utilization, high free radical output. Okay, those three things. And a funny thing happens. Wherever that cargo goes, it spreads. It stays there too long. And then if it stays in any tissue too long and there's too much of it, high oxygen output, high sugar utilization, high free radical output, a funny thing happens. It's called cancer. So macrophages and immune mechanisms and body fat are sort of all central to this going on. And the way that we can understand a more nuanced and better understanding is that when the body is super inflamed or your fat's super inflamed or you're getting older and you have you know a lot of senescent cells, that these macrophages are feeding on NAD and they're upregulating a key enzyme that it takes to salvage NAD. And so when, so when NAD is introduced, it's actually feeding them and it's, it's feeding the inflammatory process. Now, the converse of that is we need supplemental NAD as we get older. But what we have to do is follow an order of operations to first clear senescent cells, spin down macrophages, and then take in the NAD. And again, this takes us back to what, when, and how, and how things really work. So just wanted to get that out there. Well, okay, let's talk body fat. I have a quick question really quickly, though, about the, the high oxygen, high sugar, and then the like cancer cells and things like that. So is that related to the, the Wahlberg effect? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you see Wahlberg metabolism in macrophage. Yeah. But, but it, you see it in other cells way before you see it in cancer. I left this out of my book because I thought it would be too much for the reader, but I've done some trainings recently for some you know, professionals and stuff on this. And so I, I'm kind of, I'm bringing the extra goodies now. <laughs> I call this DEFCON 1. DEFCON 1 is a Cold War term meaning launch the nukes, like, you know, take cover. And when the chemical signature, so the way to think of it is this, the macrophages are like the intercontinental ballistic missiles and their cargo is DEFCON 1. DEFCON 1 is their chemical signature. They carry it to tissues. And if they're there too long, other cells pick it up. And, and when cells pick up DEFCON 1 too much, then cancer's not far behind because you're seeing Warburg metabolism spread. You're seeing high out oxygen output, high free radical output into the environment. You see oxidative stress. You could make a good explanation for breast cancer this way and a lot of different kinds of cancers. So it's beginning to kind of like, it's beginning to look at things apart from, apart from sort of the tissue or, or this or that and look at it in terms of the chemical payload. One more quick question, because I was looking up the Warburg effect because you mentioned it and then it came up. I was reading last night, Dr. Bickman's book. And he's talking all about insulin, but he was talking about it and it was saying, so cells generate energy with glucose, not in the mitochondria when that happens, where are they creating the energy? Well, first you have glycolysis, which is glycolysis is kind of like your starter fuel. Okay. So, but it's not very efficient. You only get like two AP, ATP molecules for it. Okay. But it takes glycolysis to make pyruvate and then pyruvate gets pushed down the uh, TCA cycle. And then from there, you're going to get 38 ATP. You get all these, you get all this power from it. Under certain circumstances, cer certain circumstances, oxfos gets cut off, and you just have. Well, actually, this is critically important. Mostly under hypoxic circumstances, when the hypoxia protein, hypoxia inducible factor one, is present, you see a cessation of oxfos. So what you see is TCA cycle gets cut off, and then you see this emphasis on Warburg metabolism. And so what you see is that when cells are oxygen starved, you tend to find Warburg metabolism. Okay. This is so fascinating. Now I'm thinking of all these other tangents because I also also recently had James Nestor on the podcast for a whole episode on breathing. Oh, I love James. We were in this meeting. 
Oh, uh, two, like back in 2017, Ron Penna put together a bunch of guys like us in a room at Quest. And James and I were both writing our books at the same time and got to know him then. Super great guy. Yeah, it was it was mind-blowing. His book as well was a game changer for me, like just rethinking breath and all of it. And that's one of the things you talked about. I think one of the first things that you talk about in the book is powerful effects of breathing, oxygen, hypoxia, the whole relationship with that and our bodies. But rather than going on that tangent, we were going to go into the body fat. So mind-blowing listeners, get ready. You talk about something that I have never heard talked about anywhere else ever and it is just so fascinating. And it has to do with when we lose fat and the actual mechanical damage that occurs to our fat cells and the implications of that for why we are often, you know, very likely to regain weight and also what, how yo-yo dieting just makes it, you know, harder and harder and harder. So what is going on there? <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> yeah, what's happening with that? So it, yeah, it's absolutely crazy to think, but we for over 70 years, we've had these prescriptions for dealing with body fat and not one was ever based on what's true about body fat. Not one. Not one was ever true about what really happens mechanistically when fat cells shrink. And at, at the first, at the top of it, when I say that, people just think like, you know, I'm just some huckster trying to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But by the time I get to the end of it, people are like, oh my gosh, why hasn't this been talked about? And so, so to understand it, we have to first understand what body fat is. Most of us have been coached into thinking body fat is just fat. And there's just nothing that could be less true than that. Body fat is an organ. And at the highest level, it is an organ with multiple functions. So it's an endocrine organ. It's a paracrine organ. It's an autocrine organ. It has a very vast influence over metabolic function. The, the best way to characterize what body fat is, and in order to understand this, you have to wipe away what you think it is, because by the time we're done, I can promise you, you're not going to believe what you used to believe. The best way to characterize body fat is to say that it is a system, and that system can have multiple configurations. And those configurations depend on the parts of the system. And so the parts of the system are things like collagen fibers, stem cells, immune cells, fat cells, very specific proteins called the, uh, the adipocytes, secretome, and all, a number of things. So it's, it's very much a complex system. I use the analogy in my book that body fat's a mothership, uh, and that mothership contains a lot of different kinds of cells in it, and that the configuration of the parts of the system exerts enormous power, not just over your weight, but even over how fast you age. And so the, the first thing to understand is what actually happens when fat cells shrink. That's the first thing we have to kind of start with. And when we start this discussion, we kind of have to begin with some new ideas. So the, those new ideas fall, or, fall under immunology and they fall under what's, what's called essentially mechanotransduction or mechanobiology. And it's this newer emerging understanding that physical forces program cells. So that one of the ways that cells are programmed is through the interpretation and dissemination of physical traction and stress forces across the cell. And so when we look at body fat and we begin to look at like kind of body fat structurally, the analogy I use in my book is a, is a, is a wall made from bricks and mortar. And the simple way to understand it is that the mortar is what's called the extracellular matrix, or it's just the stuff around our fat. And then the bricks are the fat cells. And there's a simple analogy to understand the impact of shrinking fat cells. And it's that if, if your house was made of bricks and we shrunk all the bricks all of a sudden all at once, the house might collapse. 
And the reason the house would collapse is due to mechanical tension. So you would have a transfer of mechanical force going from the system as a whole to just the mortar, and the mortar would be seriously damaged by that transition of mechanical force. So when we begin to look at body fat and we look at how it actually works, which again, that's all we're talking about here. And remember, that's where the power is. The power is in how things actually work and what really happens over time when you mess with how things actually work. So when we look at how body fat actually works, we see that there's these very interesting relationship between the extracellular matrix and fat cells themselves. And it's mediated by what are called focal adhesions. So focal adhesion is a point that is, uh, it's, it's think of a focal adhesion as like a shock absorber or an engine mount. It's the point at which one thing connects to another. And in that, in that system, it's a multi-protein system that crosses the fat cell membrane and connects it to the extracellular matrix. What's really fascinating about this is it seems to have mechanisms in it that are designed to detect, measure, and pass on information about stress and torsion stress and traction stress. In fact, there's even, there's even something that could be considered a torsion bolt put into there. So it's a protein called vinculin. And what you'll see is that when you look at how body fat actually works in these focal adhesions, there are these specific proteins called beta actin. And beta actin has like a, a torsioning system called vinculin. Vinculin is a protein that essentially its function is to work as a shock absorber or a torsion bolt. What a torsion bolt does or a, tor a torsioning system does is it sort of like, it sort of like works as a buffer between the mechanical forces acting from one surface to another and sort of like helps take the shock. And what happens is information about physical mechanical stress is translated from these torsion bolts or from these proteins down into the nucleus of the cell. And then in the nucleus of the fat cell, there's all these genes that control what are essentially mechanosensitive proteins. These are proteins that react to physical mechanical stresses. And to understand the importance of this, let's take the example of brown fat. I'm going to show for you here how brown fat or the, the utilization of brown fat for energy is 100% controlled by mechanical stress. 100%. So what you have in brown fat, or all fat, is you have a cytoskeleton or a skeleton within the cell. It's kind of invisible, but it's these tendrils and filaments that cross the cell. And it's made out of what are called actomyosin fibers. These are the same fibers you find in muscle, but they work very differently in fat, in white fat. So in white fat, what we see is that you just store fat. There's no mitochondria for the most part. But when we begin to apply certain things to white fat, like cold or omega-3s, what happens is white fat can, 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 can begin to effectively become muscle, as crazy as that sounds. And here's how it works. Within the actin cytoskeleton, within fat, in response to stimuli, such as like, let's say, let's say cold or, or certain types of, you know, like maybe phytonutrients, what happens is mechanical signals get passed into fat cells, get passed into brown fat. And the actocytoskeleton within the cell tenses up just like muscle. And it needs something to power the tensioning. So what it does is it makes more mitochondria because the way muscles work is when a muscle flexes, you're, you're, burning, the mitochondria, you're burning energy in the mitochondria. So it takes energy to power those contractions. And within the, within the cytoskeleton, within brown fat, you have essentially these actomyosin fibers form that are essentially muscle. For, for all intents and purposes, it works the same way. And what powers that is more mitochondria. And what powers the uncoupling process where fat can be burned and glucose can be burned in fat cells, in brown fat, is tensioning. So just like muscle, these cells tense up, they uncouple, and they burn energy. So, so that's how important mechanical tension is 
to fat. Now, in the case of white fat and body fat, what happens is that when we shrink fat cells, we are essentially breaking away from the extracellular matrix. We're taking, we're taking the focal adhesion points, the points that bind fat cells to the ECM, and we're inducing damage to those points. And it's very interesting. There's, there's newer research. In fact, I quoted in my book some studies from Maastricht University. Well, there's been some follow-on studies now in 2020 that have shown what happens post-weight loss. And post-weight loss, what we see within adipocytes, within white fat cells, is that the metabolic functions within those cells go down, but the immune functions within those cells shoot through the roof. So what we see is that genes, immune-centric genes, controlling things, controlling immune signals like interferon gamma and interleukins, skyrocket. And so do heat shock proteins. They skyrocket when we lose fat. And the reason, if you, if you begin to mechanistically break down what's going on, is that the, the focal adhesion points when fat cells shrink are being damaged. You're breaking away from the ECM, okay? And then we need to repair those. Well, what is repair a function of within the body? Repair is a function of the immune system. So what we see post-fat loss in the maintenance phase is all of these immune mechanisms kicking in. And the purpose of these immune mechanisms is when fat cells shrink, one thing I point out in my book is that the nucleus of fat cells is very different from most cells. In most cells, the nucleus sits in the center, so it's protected from damage by the, by the cytoplasm. But in fat cells, it sits on the edge. It sits right against the cell wall. So it's very easy to damage fat cells. And when fat cells shrink, the fat goes away and they break away from the ECM, a couple of very important things need to happen. Number one, the ECM has to either remodel to fit the shrunken fat cell or the fat cell has to refill with fat. One of those two things have to happen. There's no middle ground. Now, when we look at the cost to do either, it's much cheaper for the body to fill fat cells back up than it is to reshape the ECM. To reshape the ECM involves very specific enzymes like matrix melanoprotease 11. And these enzymes have kind of a, they have both beneficial and, and sort of like a not so good impact on the, on the ECM and the cellular milieu. Okay. So what happens is when fat cells shrink, if we're going to shrink the ECM to match the smaller new fat cell, the first thing we have to do is we have to reattach the fat cell to the ECM. So that's going to take very specific types of proteins that have to pull the cell. So in pulling the cell, you're stretching the cell. You're causing damage to the cell when you pull it. So in order to fix the damage, you have to make heat shock proteins and things that refold proteins back. So the, the, the relationship between the ECM and the fat cell is very two-way. They, they work kind of like two intelligent computer systems that constantly make adaptions the one to the other. And so what will happen is mechanical tensioning forces from the ECM go down into the nucleus of the cell and they reprogram a cell to make fibers that are different, collagen fibers that are very, very different from the ones that they're replacing. And so those collagen fibers are loaded up in the ECM. And we think of collagen fibers as kind of just like good things. Well, it's collagen. It must be good, right? Not necessarily the case. You can have very specific collagen fibers that work as inflammatory mediators. The best example is known as collagen 6A23. Collagen 6A23 is called endotropin, and it's, you find a lot of it in obesity. And it's, a, it's the result of the ECM getting stressed from mechanical pressure. So what we see when we shrink fat cells is this giant inflammatory response, and, or rather this giant immune response, because it's immune mechanisms that are coming into play to repair the damage. And so in my book, um, the case that I make is that we have passed the old paradigm. We, we've reached the limits, the upward limit of the old paradigm of just sort of fitness as the explanatory power. And we've moved into a new 
paradigm, one that involves is sort of immunology and whole body health, because it's immune mechanisms that are governing the show and they're running the process of how things get healed when we shrink fat cells. And so the big takeaway here is that when we shrink fat cells, we're, we're injuring them. You're injuring the fat cell when you shrink it. And the injury process is governed by immunity and it's immune mechanisms that ultimately repair the fat cell. And the long-term impact, which takes place in the weight maintenance phase, is to upregulate all kinds of different genes that are related to sort of immune signal cascades. And that, that ultimately is what's going to determine if we can keep the weight off, our immune mechanisms. So that's a very long-winded explanation. I hope you guys are still with me on that, but it's, it's kind of necessary to get out there and we can kind of break it down from there. This is incredible. I have a really quick question. You mentioned vinculin. Is that the same thing they test for like vinculin antibodies for IBS? Have you heard of that? I don't know. It was like two years ago or a year and a half ago-ish. And there was like this huge thing because it was like, oh, we can finally do a test for a literal test for IBS, especially I think if it was like post-infection. Yeah, probably just because the raw materials that we're using are not unique to fat cells. So when you're looking at fat cells, you're looking at proteins like beta-actin, laminin, collagens, vinculin. You're looking at all these different things and they're used in other parts of the body. Okay. Yeah. Because the I think the idea was that people get food poisoning or something and then their body, I don't know if, I wonder if it was because then there was an increase in vinculin and then the body makes antibodies, but then it's against the gut. I don't know. It was, it was like a thing for a little bit. And there was like this IBS check and I think it was testing for that. So it was really interesting. So to recap all of that. So basically if we look at our fat cells, like bricks and mortar, when we lose weight, it's like we're losing the brick, the mortar is still there. And we have two options. We can either bring back the brick, which would be regaining the weight, or we can completely like remodel the whole foundation of the house, change the mortar so that it's like, is it changing it so that it's like smaller bricks? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's think of it this way. Like with the brick and mortar analogy, if your whole house was made of bricks and mortar and then you shrunk the bricks and for, by some miracle, you know, like the walls didn't all collapse, but you had all these stress fractures, you know, in the mortar from taking all the way to the house, what you do is you would fill in the gaps. You'd fill in the gaps between the mortar and the bricks with more mortar so that now they fit the bricks. That's what you would do. So it's like there's little baby bricks now. Like new mortar, like new mortar in, yeah. So you have smaller bricks and so you need, you need to fill in the, the mortar now. And so everything would shift around a little bit, you know, but, but, but if you could do that and you had a smart house that reacted dynamically, then that's what you would get. Now, the thing to understand here is there's a lot of things at work with this. There are genetic differences with people and there are a number of things that play out in the weight maintenance phase. There's something called the secretome. The secretome is, is a family of dozens of proteins that are produced in response to fat loss post fat loss. And has a lot to do with whether or not you're going to regain the weight. And a lot of it also has to do with the presence of fibroblast growth factor 21 and fatty acid binding protein 4 and matrix binder protease 11 and all these different sort of, sort of tools that we need. But the thing to understand is that there is probably an, a, a cumulative effect to doing this. And you have to understand it from the perspective that there are an enormous in, there is an enormous inventory of, of baked in responses working against you when fat cells shrink. Because coming back to how words program our minds, we use the words gotten in my best shape ever, lost the weight, low body fat. We use all these words that are positive words and we think we've solved the problem. Your body doesn't know what those words mean. All your body knows is the history 
stored across you know a thousand generations through all your ancestors, which is that typically when fat cells shrunk is because there was no food. And so we've got to do something about that. We've got to make sure next time it happens that you know we don't get as skinny. Now, what I see a lot of are people who come to me who can't get lean anymore. And they, they had no problem when they were younger. In the 20s and 30s, they got lean. And then it progressively got harder and harder and harder. And there's kind of these old school explanations of, of slow metabolism and you know thyroid and all this stuff. But what's brand new that no one's ever considered is that there is a progressive sort of stiffening or worsening of the ECM as a result of weight cycling that is induced by all of the mechanisms that are at work against us when we lose weight. And it's, it, it's I, in my book, there's a page where I list on one side of the equation, fat loss, and then all the other things that are against you. And there's a lot of things that you, that you got to overcome. You got to overcome the energy gap, which is you have lower metabolism, but then you have a uh, sort of lower leptin, which makes you want to eat more. You have alterations in the, the body's feeding mechanisms that make you want to, you know, makes food taste better. You have sort of mechanistic mechano driven things driven by the physical shrinking of fat cells. You have a lot of things that are against you when you lose fat that are that for the purposes of survival, want to put the fat back on. And when you put it in a historical context where the only people that were ever fat were rich people and then everybody else was skinny, it starts to make sense because everybody else was starving. <laughs> so so long-term, what is brand new and just starting to bubble up is that the act of reducing body fat may provoke similar mechanisms that we see with obesity very similar mechanisms. And it has to do with the reshaping and the repeated reshaping of the, of the extracellular matrix. And what, where this brings us to is it brings us much closer to how things actually work. The closer we get to this, the more we can come up with a solution that truly brings us to much closer to one and done. So does this at all relate to this vague nebulous idea of a body set point? Like, might it be a successful reshaping of the ECM? Like if people lowered their set point? No, not really. No, because we have this idea that it's kind of in the cluster of those things. And that would probably fall under the energy gap. So the energy gap is this massive problem we have to overcome when we lose body fat. And it's just that the body doesn't need as much energy as it used to, but you want to eat more. And so getting the body to a place where you're not eating more and comfortable with the lowered metabolic output is kind of under that umbrella. And that, let's, let's say that's maybe a factor in the equation, but we're going sort of in addition to and above and beyond that when we start to really consider that, that this is an immune problem. Like we think of body fat as like a metabolic issue, but, but really when we look at the mechanisms governing weight regain, they're immune mechanisms. There are things like macrophages and things like heat shock proteins and things like interleukin signals. These are the things in fibroblast FGF21, these are the things that are governing whether or not we're going to regain the weight. And so it takes us into a new way of looking at body fat. It takes us into an immune-centric approach and it changes how we do things and it changes just about everything. And I'm I going to go out on a limb and say uh, that it's the future. I could foresee that happening. So practically, so, so if we lose weight and we want to take the avenue of restructuring the ECM rather than refilling with fat, can that process occur without an inflammatory cascade or do we just have to bite the bullet and there's an inflammatory cascade that we wade through? I believe it's definitely hackable and that takes us into kind of a new avenue and, and that's, it becomes that yes, we can. And the solution is what we call hacking. 
and hacking represents sort of a, a, at a high level, hacking represents two notions. It represents the idea of time, you know, that, that time's a factor and we have to take time into account because you can solve this problem. Just go get paid to be fit. That'll solve the problem for you. One of the ways you can solve this problem is that if you kind of implore an ancestral analogy, ancestral analogies are not science, they're not fact, but they're, they're useful. I use them, you know, but we always have to kind of tell ourselves that, okay, we could be wrong here, but this is, this makes sense to us is that post-starvation, post-feasting, you kept on hunting. Okay. <laughs> like, like, right. Like we couldn't get any food. It was a bad winter. You know, we were eating dirt and weeds and, you know, roots and whatever. But then, you know, the game came back, we, we, we got a kill, we feasted, we slept, and then we had to go back out again. And we had to go, we had to go hunting again and we had to burn a ton of energy. So that worked as a counterbalance. Um, the energy expenditure needed sort of like post-feasting worked as a counterbalance to all of the other starvation-based mechanisms. And we don't have that now in, in the modern world we live in. So like in the, in, the, in the weight maintenance phase, or let's call it the post-feasting phase, we have some very, very considerable barriers. The most important being that the probability of time going to zero is 100% for extended periods if you're in the real world ecosystem. And you can't solve it with platitudes like, well, you got to make the time, you got to walk the talk, blah, 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 all that stuff. Because like the, all that stuff is is born of the fitness ecosystem. It's not born from the real world. Like you talk to anybody in the real world, it's a whole different animal. I mean, I have clients. I can tell you for a fact, like you know, that their week and their day is just just keeping up. You know, and these and these are people who are you know fairly wealthy, fairly wealthy too. You know, imagine as you as you begin to go down income strata, and you start to look at what really happens in the real world, and you combine stress, you combine you know family issues job issues, all these different things, COVID stress, all this stuff. And competition for your time becomes this limiting factor, mitigating what would in effect be the hunting continues, you know, the energy expenditure required for continued exercise nonstop. So, so in lieu of that, we need hacks and we need a way to kind of hack the system here. And it's a very real necessity. So what we're looking at in this kind of new scenario is that we begin fat loss and it's very, very different. We don't begin with fat. We begin in the gut. And we begin with the gut because the gut and our body fat have a connection. And I've already kind of illustrated that with like macrophages and like the polysaccharide, but it goes much deeper than that. So there's sort of one school of thought that, you know, well, there really isn't any bacteria common to lean people. It's conflicting. We can't really answer that. And what I would say to that is, oh, really? Look at obese people. And what do you see? When, when, when you inventory the research for obese people, what you consistently see is they're lacking bifidobacteria and agromancia. And when you give them those two bacteria, they get lean like, like one, almost one-to-one one in the research. So there is a very strong connection between the bacteria in our gut and the ability to store fat or burn fat. Um, in my book, I talk about fasting-induced adipose factor, which is a protein related to the renin-angiotensin system, but it's potentiated by bifidobacteria and it affects, lipopoly, it affects lipoprotein lipase and it affects fat storage. And it's a direct connection between what's in our gut and our ability to uh, lose or store fat. And so we begin in the gut and we begin by conditioning the gut and getting the gut into a place that mimics that of the leanest, healthiest people. So that's sort of odd. Like we think of body fat, okay, well, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to hop on the treadmill, I'm going to start dieting, I'm going to do all these things. But sort of in a new immune centric approach, we're focusing on bacteria that promote immunity and promote the lean phenotype. That's a point where we disembark right away, immediately up front from the old way of thinking about things. And then as we're looking at body fat and how to get it down and how to keep it off, we're incorporating a lot of things. So we're incorporating 
not just one thing, but multiple things that impinge on different things. A good example would be brown fat and fat browning and fat beijing and cold and, and things that work synergistically with cold, like cayenne, for example, or things like camp activators or things like omega-3s. And we begin to come up with an order of operations that really is kind of throwing everything at the problem, but doing it sort of with an immune-centric approach to body fat. And the most important thing is once the fat is off, it's far more important than getting the fat off. And the thing with that is getting the fat off is super, super hard for most people. Like really hard. It's hard to get the fat off. But what's much, much, much harder is getting the fat off in a way where it's not going to come back. And the most important, in an immune-centric approach, the most important phase of fat loss is after the fat is gone. Because that's when all of the different genes and proteins and signals and all that stuff kicks in in the weight maintenance phase that is going to dictate whether or not we can keep it off. And this is something we have to hack. A good example is FGF21. FGF21 is a hormone. We make it in several places in the body. It's part of a family of proteins. And basically, they're all involved in one way or another in mitigation of, of stress, whether that's physical stress, mechanical stress. FGF is this hormone, FGF21 is this hormone that we used to think was a fasting hormone because you see more of it when you fast. But the newer research shows that it's actually, you get more of it when you're obese too. So it, it kind of works a lot of different ways. But FGF21 is a good example of something we can hack um, post-fat loss to mitigate weight regain. Yeah. You talked about how it induces a fetal cycle in our adipose tissue. So does that mean it kind of just makes our fat tissue just burn calories or like what's happening with it? So FGF21, fibroblast, I have the hardest time saying that word, <laughs> fibroblast, growth factor 21, it's a tissue repair hormone, but it does a lot of different things. When we have a lot of it in the liver, it enhances fatty acid oxidation, but it does a lot of things. It, it can increase lifespan, energy expenditure, fat loss, fat browning. It, it can improve glucose uptake into cells. It can sensitize insulin. You know, it can influence the sweetness of sweets. So it can make uh, post-fat loss. It can make us eat more. Interestingly, high-fat diets actually induce FGF21 resistance. So what you'll see is like a keto diet long-term, what you'll see is that the inflammatory state of white, of your white fat mass improves, but the inflammatory state of the liver worsens because what happens is you get more FGF21, but then you get FGF21 resistance. So it actually doesn't get uptaken in the liver. But FGF21, generally speaking, it maintains energy balance. And one of the ways that we can increase FGF21 is with cold. And it helps us with like, it basically helps uncoupling and helps glucose uptake in the brown fat. It also does something which is really important. There are what are called uh, sphingolip sphingolipid ceramides. These are basically like uh, adhesion points uh, or macrophages that drive insulin resistance. And FGF21 kind of helps, helps with these. So it, where it's really important is post-fat loss. And we need to get it up post-fat loss. And that's, that's really the thing with it. There's a lot of different ways that we can do that. Acetoacetate seems to increase it. Methionine restriction seems to increase it. So there's a lot of different ways to work on getting FGF20 up. And it really just comes back to what, when, and how. Like, is FGF21 good? Mm, yeah, some cases. Is it bad? Yeah, some cases. So it's a what, when, how thing. Well, when do we need it? Well, we really, really need it post-fat loss. If we can get FGF21 up post-fat loss, it's one of the keys to knocking out the response of the body to put weight back on. You know, that's where all the hacking and all that comes in. You can read studies showing that, oh, you know, spices boost your metabolism, but then there'll be another article saying, you know, but you only burn like an extra 10 calories, like it doesn't really do anything. If you're hacking literally everything that you're doing as far as like what you're eating, and you talk about a lot of different fascinating hacks and protocols in the book, 
I think that really adds up and it can, you know, change the overall signaling of everything. And it's just really, really amazing. And the exercise world, your, your approach to that, talk about minimum investment, maximum results. What are your thoughts on exercise for those of us who, like you said, are not, that's not our job. So like exercise is not our career. How should we approach that and how can we potentially hack that? What this gets us to is, again, you know, in, in my book, I make the case that paradigm shifts come when a new way of doing things comes from outside the accepted way of doing things. You know, we, when we get kind of a new lens and the lens that we've been under for, you know, over 60 years here sort of links appearance to, to health. And it came out of bodybuilding. It came out of this, you know, if you trace the the way we do things right now and you put it, you put like kind of a, a bow on it and go, where did this come from? The origin was really, you know, being getting bodybuilding mainstreamed and popularized in the seventies, beginning with Joe Weider and it was magazines in the eighties and then Bill Phillips in the nineties and then the advert of social media and all these things have been built on this one house. And this one house is based on one sort of idea. And it's the idea that, you know, it puts appearance in front of health, it puts how you look sort of at the forefront. And there's a very strong correlation between how you look and your health. So they, they correlate very strongly, but there's also a very strong decoupling between appearance and health. Um, I personally know lots of people who have what you would consider an amazing appearance and are not in good health. And so really what's needed is a shift in our ethos to begin to think of kind of an immune centric approach first, which is really going to drive health and you're going to look great. You're going to look fantastic, but it's not bodybuilding. Because bodybuilding for most people in the real world, sort of that, you know, best shape ever all the time thing, it doesn't work in the real world ecosystem because you don't get paid to be fit. So a different way of looking at the thing is to sort of, again, work, come back to, well, how do things really work? Well, how things really work is that over time, your blood is going downhill. The quality of your blood is going downhill. The way, the viscosity of your blood, the way your blood circulates, the actual proteins in your blood, the clumping ability of your blood, fibrinogen is getting... You know, it, all these things are sort of shifting. And the net of all these things is that you're not oxygenating tissue the way you used to, and you're not circulating the way you used to. And so when you take that and then you add on top of it sitting or not moving all the time, well, then you've got this perfect witch's brew to accelerate the aging process and the decline of the body. So when you start with kind of the highest level, which is, well, how do I keep my immune function high? How do I keep my health high? It's that the body has to do something every day. You got to move every day. Okay. But you have to take into account the real world ecosystem. Again, we're coming back to what really happens over time. And what really happens for most people over time is that they have these long gaps between able to make these sort of gym campaigns, you know, like, like, okay, I'm going on a campaign in the gym and it's going to last forever. Yay. But it really only lasted six months or a year or two years or five years. And then all the time constraints came in. So you need something that in my book, I equate to brushing the teeth. Like no matter what, every day you're going to brush your teeth. Like you will brush your teeth because you can feel the plaque on your teeth and it's disgusting. So you're going to find two minutes every day to brush your teeth no matter what. And taking that idea, if you could just take, you know, two minutes and break it up into 20 second intervals and spread them across your day. If you just did that one thing, but you did it every day and did it for 30, 40, 50 years, the difference between your body doing that versus not doing that would be colossal. Like the adjectives and superlatives could just, you know, it'd be stupendous. It would be night and day, it would be black and white. And it's because as we age, we begin, we need to make up for the things that are going downhill. And the way we make up for that is we emulate the healthiest people in the world. Like, for example, you see field workers in their 90s who are just still working every day. Well, how is that? It's because they're moving every day. 
I have a toothbrush routine for my body and I call it the integrated interval. And I just do it every day. And it's, it's basically every day um, for in 20 second intervals, I'm just pushing the body. And, you know, I like to do sprints because sprints work the entire body and you have to be young to sprint. So it keeps the body young, but a lot of things can, can work. Flexibility based things can work. I like to do it bedtime. I do a series of yoga flows every day. And the difference of doing that versus not doing that is my body is supple and flexible. And if we hung out, I'd be running upstairs like crazy and running around like a kid. And it's because I just do this one thing every day. So my body, my hamstrings and everything, it's all there. The cool thing about this is it's something anybody can do because there's no warm up. You just do it. And then you go back to what you were doing. The, the irony of that is it's very tough to do something for two minutes every day. That's, that's almost impossible for most people. But when you break it into 20 second intervals, it's very, very doable. And so when you spread them across your day, you're mimicking young blood because you're forcing circulation across the body. And circulation has everything to do with your body's ability to keep and grow muscle. Poor circulation means that you're going to exhaust your muscle stem cells. You can't grow muscle. And then declining muscle as you age, you know, leads to a whole host of problems. So, so no matter what, I'm always doing these integrated intervals, no matter what, always, every day. And it's kept me, it's kept me young. And then, you know, I, I still do my, you know, I still do my bodybuilding kind of beach centric kind of workouts, you know, as, as often as I can. I just, my path has been so different from most other people because I had a software and if you've, if you've never done a software, don't because it'll eat your life. It's just ate my life for the last dozen years. And it just, you know, I, I, my life looks like someone who works full time because software is just crazy. It's kind of long-winded. Sorry about that. I tend to be long-winded sometimes. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine, and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits. The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Hi, friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. 
I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality, they're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment and they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon, or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off and that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. No, no, I love it. Not the same thing, but the hack that I've been doing for probably like 10 years is I wear wrist and ankle weights like all day. So then when I'm like, so when I'm doing the dishes or go grocery shopping or whatever, it's like, it's like resistance (laughs) training without even meaning to. I've seen your picture and you, you look great. And I will bet you that if you had never done that ever versus having done that, I'll bet you it would be night and day. A big difference. Colossal difference, like a massive difference. And I, I've been talking about it for like ever on the inter, on the intermittent fasting podcast. I don't know why more people don't do it, but like whenever I go out to the store, I have like weights all over me, and people look at me funny. But I'm so used to it now; it's been like ten years. <laughs> I think that's fantastic, and I think that this falls under what I talk about a lot, which is there's no 100 percent answer. Like what I'm doing, what, what's in my book is a series of two percent to five percent answers. Like like you'll get a two percent bump here, or three percent bump there, or five percent bump here. But it's and the thing is none of them take much to do, but it's the collective impact is, is on a given day, you're getting a 25, 30% difference, which played out over a decade is colossal. And that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. I think it's huge. One more related question. You're talking about the, the young versus old blood. And then you also talk in the book about young versus old muscle. And you talked about how working out can actually make our muscles older, potentially what's going on with that. So muscles are not a tire with infinite tread. Okay, that, that's a, I, I've said that before in other podcasts, but it's just a, a good anchor to help us understand that you don't have forever with your muscles. You've got a limited sort of like, you've got a limited lifetime with them or a limited life cycle and you can use them up faster. You, it's just like a tire. If you take it to the track all the time, you're going to wear it out a little bit faster. Exercise in general is massively beneficial, massively beneficial. And so you absolutely must exercise the muscles every day. What we're getting into, though, is kind of looking at the difference between the extra 80% of effort that that creates 20%, or or rather, that creates 20% improvement in your appearance. So to get that 20% improvement in your appearance probably takes 80% more effort. And the net of that 80% more effort is that you are creating adhesions in the muscle at an accelerated rate, and you're depleting stem cells that that you need to renew the muscles, you know, because you're going to the well every time to renew those things. So what this all says is that, you know, it's possible to overdo it. It's possible to get it, to get the muscles to a place where they, they just don't renew. And you can see it. Like you could just go look at some of the, you know, some top level bodybuilders who are a little bit older now and they just, you know, it doesn't matter what they're on. They can't, they can't put muscle on like they used to. And it's because they've blown through the, they've blown through their stem cells and just, you know, all that. So in parsing this answer, you need to take it the right way, which is, it's important to exercise. It's even important to exercise, you know, intensely here and there, you know, or even in moderation, like on a regular basis. But there is a cost to continual extreme exercise or continual extreme focus on, you know, maybe like one body part, like the biceps and all that. And it's that you can, you can blow through them. You can blow through your muscle. I, I heard Roy Jones, Roy Jones Jr., the, the great boxer say once that the way he trained was that he was very ginger in his training because he didn't want to use the muscles up. And that you can use the muscles up. And what I've personally witnessed over the years are this really interesting phenomena of you see people that have never trained, 
And then they start training later in life, like 40s, 50s, and they look mind-boggling, you know, especially if they go on steroids. And then you see people who've trained all from the time they were a kid, and they look really used up by the time they're in the 50s and 60s, and they just can't gain muscle anymore. And so there's definitely something to that. And so I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm like everybody else, I want to look good, but I'm kind of like, I'm putting it in the real world ecosystem. You talk about how massage can potentially like mimic young blood circulation or doing it after exercise. Does it have to be like specific, like a certain type of massage? Like I, I get a lot of massages. Like if I go get a massage, is that going to do it? Or does it have to be like a specific type of like muscle massage? Well, uh, yes, certain types of massage have been shown to, you know, produce results that are they're different. So in my book, I talk about a very specific type of massage that's been shown to grow muscle um, in the absence of exercise. But suffice to say that post-exercise, you need, you need young circulation. Circulation and muscle growth are one and the same. Like you need, in fact, one of the ways that you can stimulate muscle growth and age muscles to take EPO or erythroprotein, which is just mimics young blood because you get this expansion in blood volume. What is that? EPO? Yeah, erythroprotein. Like, can you buy that? How about no? <laughs> no, that's, it's, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, that's what Lance Armstrong got kicked out of. Uh, it's the Lance Armstrong drug, but it's, uh, that's how much I know about this. Okay. Yeah. I, well, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I like, I'm, my knowledge is very limited as well, but you'll find it in like, it's under the umbrella of performance enhancing, enhancing substances. But a lot of bodybuilders take it because it expands the blood volume, makes you look bigger, but it also gives you better endurance. I've never taken it, but I just, you know, I know people who, you know, having been around the industry a long time, but where it's got a, a new home, I think that is very interesting is in the hands of a longevity practitioner and with different practitioners, I, I would never take it unless it was with a practitioner because there can be very serious complications from it. But I think in the hands of a good practitioner, it's a very fantastic tool to keep the body young as we get older. But what it gets down to is going back to massage and um, circulation and something's better than nothing after massage. But again, it's what, when, and how. So the when is that post, post-workout, there seems to be kind of a window of sort of max kind of like um, kind of inflammatory signals somewhere, somewhere around that six hour mark, six to 12 hours. And that's when certain proteins in my book, I mentioned them like ERK and one half or kind of like at the max. And what they're doing is they're recruiting sort of immune factors to restore muscle. And so during this period, that's when you need it. And then the what is there's diff definitely different types of massage, high level bodybuilders and you know, people like that all use what's known as body work, where they're actually getting someone who knows what they're doing to go in and remove adhesions in the muscle. My, my friend Ron, you know, he does it on a regular basis and he's just always pumped. And, and you know, I, I started doing kind of something similar just on my own. And I noticed the difference was that now I'm, you know, I went through this period where I was always pumped when I was younger to then like I was never pumped and I couldn't figure out. And then, well, just circulation. And now, and now post-workout, I apply like different types of massage and things. And now I'm always pumped again. And it's purely just circulation. Like a vibration machine, does that support circulation? Do you know? Yeah. Uh, are you talking about like, uh, you're talking about the ones you that you like stand on or sit on? Oh yeah. Good one. Um, not a hundred percent sure about that. Don't, don't know. I wouldn't want to, I haven't studied it. So I, I did an article on those like a long time ago, like 2007. And I haven't really looked at them in a long time. One more question. You're talking about like what's going to become, you know, mainstream or one thing I love that you talked about was you said that there were four words that were going to become mainstream that you were prophesizing. And it was AMPK, sirtuins, NAD, and CD38. I felt AMPK, sirtuins, and NAD 
are like a lot of talk around that. Um, I had not heard of CD38. What is CD38? In the immune-centric approach to health, immune cells and immune cell metabolism have this vast influence over the body as a whole. And so what we see on immune cells are these things called cluster of differentiation or CDs. And what these are, are very specific receptors that activate kind of in response to different stimuli, uh, mostly in immune cells. And CD38 is one of those. So CD38, you see it, you see it kind of like in immune cells and what it does, like when we activate CD38, we, we see this sort of like elevation of, we, we can get NAD to elevate by activating CD38. And we see like, we see like CD38 and NAD levels kind of like at opposite ends. So when, when we, see, or excuse me, excuse me, I've got it backwards. We need to suppress CD38. We need to inhibit CD38. So when we see high CD38, we see low NAD. When we see low CD38, we see high NAD in the body. And really it gets to kind of like going back to like, I talked about like macrophages, certain types of inflammatory macrophages can, can use NAD. It gets to macrophage metabolism. And so when the inflammatory macrophages are gobbling up all the NAD, then there's not going to be NAD for other tissues. And so when we suppress uh, CD38, when we suppress that receptor, then we see NAD levels go right up. All that says that uh, there's a number of ways to skin the cat of repleting NAD. We can do it in a number of different ways. We can do it by restoring sleep. We can do it by mitigating CD38. We can do it by supplementing with things like nicotinamide riboside or nicotinamide mononucleotide. How do you feel about those NR and NMN? supplementing them? <laughs> I think strategically used, they're amazing. I, I, I think strategically used, they're amazing. Like we talked about, they, they under certain conditions. So if, if you have a lot of senescent cells, particularly if you have inflamed fat, you wouldn't just want to go right to those things. You'd want to probably um, initiate flushing senescent cells and mitigating inflammation first before you did that. Under normal circumstances where you have, you know, like an aging body, uh, the administration of those things can be a great adjunct, uh, particularly the you know, you see some practitioners now doing like IV NAD, which they swear by. So yeah, I think, I think it's a tool set and I think used correctly, it can be fantastic. Like I said, I interviewed James Nestor and so I read breath and I was like, I'm going to get my deviated septum fixed. So I had surgery. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's funny. But what's crazy was, it was really upsetting because they're like, you can't lift anything heavier than an iPad for a week can't do sauna. You can't do exercise. You like can't do anything. And I felt like I was dying. And I was like, what can I do? I can't do any of my normal stuff. And I was like, I can take NR and NMN and wasn't taking it like, cause I've been taking it a little bit in the past, but I'd stopped and I was feeling so awful after the surgery. And it could have been a coincidence, but I like high dosed it cause I was feeling so terrible. And I saw like, it could have been a coincidence, but I like saw massive improvements just in how I felt. So now I'm like, oh, I want to take this for life. But I, I have a tendency to go extreme, so I probably shouldn't do that. I hear that quite a bit. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the dosing. So what I've heard a lot of different people report is that the lower doses, they don't feel too much, but in the very high doses, they do. What did you notice? Like, I felt like death, like just death. Like I've never <laughs> felt like that before. And I, like, I was just laying on the couch. I couldn't move. Like everything was completely exhausting me. And then I like high, high dosed it. And my energy just started coming back. Like I said, could have been a time thing, could have been coincidence, but I don't know if you know James Clement. He wrote a book called The Switch. He's really into that whole research. And I was asking him, like, did he think I, like, I was like, could this really have made that much of a difference? And he was saying they'd done studies on, like in his work, like high dosing it and found that it, you know, 
significantly improved NAD levels pretty fast. So what sort of dose levels like in the gram range? I have to look it up. And was it NMN or NAD? Or excuse me, or uh, NR? I had both. What I high dosed was NR. Do you have a preference between the two? And the NMN, probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about the high dosing of NR, what your experience was, for sure. So he said, in his own experience, he took 1,000 milligrams of NMN and 1,000 of NR a day for three days. It raised his whole blood NAD levels by 6 to 30 fold. So he was taking both? He was taking both. I, I don't remember if I took both. I told him I'd been taking... 250 milligrams NR with dinner, 650 NMN throughout the day. But I think, I think right after the surgery, I like had massively upped that. Yeah. That's, that's kind of along the lines of what I've heard also. It's, you need to get into the gram doses and that, that's not easy for just financially. It's not easy. I was like, there goes my NR. <laughs> so well, okay. I want to be super respectful of your time. This has been so amazing. You mentioned at the beginning, like we didn't even talk about like, I don't even know how you say it, pexophagy and peroxisomes and pexophagy, yeah. pexophagy um, and so many other things, membranes. Is there anything like really big that you wanted to touch on that's like speaking from your heart? Oh, hmm. gosh, let me think about it. Well, I think, I think it's this, um, you know, I've, I've come a long way over a number of years doing this stuff. And I've always, always just been concerned about like what was really true, you know, as a consumer. And my road was one of really getting to the reality of how things work and what's really true over time. And we live the, the, the unfortunate aspect of kind of the, you know, the, the ecosystem or the, the thought sphere that we're in is that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fantasy and a lot of things that don't work over time and that it's very easy to jump on fads and jump on things and what i've seen a lot of is uh, people hurt themselves long term by doing things that that were coming from a place that wasn't really very well informed and so in getting to a place where you're going to get the result you want long term you really have to you have to put your health first like appearance is very important but it's it's life's not a bodybuilding contest. It's not the ultimate driver of things. And you need to like really kind of reframe things and understand that most people live in the real world ecosystem and that ecosystem has very significant challenges over time to maintain anything. So to get where you want to go, it takes a very large rethink. I mean, you have to be open to like much of the information you've been given really doesn't work over time. It just doesn't. And because it's not coming from the real world ecosystem or it's not based on how things actually work. And all that takes us to a place where you need some things to hang on to. I try to put those things forward, which is that health is balance, imbalance is disease. And foundationally, a lot of the things that I've found over time were most true are things that just make sense. Things like that at the end of the day, our diets need balance over the long term. It doesn't mean you can't have forays into certain extremes, but our, our diets need to be balanced. And that most of the things that we think we know don't actually work that way. Like fat loss doesn't work the way we think it does. And you just, you really just have to be open to rethinking a lot of things. And, you know, that's the, everything I'm doing is coming from that place. It's coming from that place of like, what's going to really work over time? What's going to solve the problem in the body? You know, because for me, I've had people in my family, like my mother, my father, you know, uh, other people that, you know, they've really struggled with health issues. And 
like I've just always been concerned with what's really true. And for the listener who is trying to figure all this stuff out, you know, what, what's going to really matter is keep your focus on the long term. Keep your focus on the long term because it's very easy to get short term results by a lot of different methods, but very often they backfire. And you got to keep that long term perspective. So. This is so incredible. I mean, your book, everything you said just resonates with me so much. I know my audience, see audience, now you understand why this had to be a two-part episode. You know, we only like slightly scratched the surface of everything that's in the book. So friends, get the immunity code. It's all in there. And like Joel was saying, there. well, there's the whole paradigm reframe of, you know, what is truth, what's actually happening, what's going on. There's the science of all of it. And then there's actually a ton of like step-by-step hacks, protocols to implement really fascinating things. Like we didn't even talk about like offsetting, but you know, how you can have different meals that create different effects as far as like you think excess calories, but you can actually support weight loss and hacks for AMPK and for NAD and stubborn fat and really quick tangent. That's one thing that's always bothered me in the the health and wellness and diet sphere is people will say, oh, you can't spot burn fat. And I've always thought, well, if you put something on the fat that tells the fat, (laughs) like that changes, you know, that makes the fat more likely to be burned or changes things, like why would you not be able to? Well, think about it this way. You 100% don't store fat equally at, at all junctures of the body. That's just simply not true. You store fat at different rates in different areas of the body, different things like insulin resistance and things like that. You know, hormones govern different fat depots. So if you don't store fat equally, you certainly don't burn it equally. And everybody knows that's true. Like when you're burning fat, you have problem areas that won't release fat. Well, those problem areas have physical biochemical differences from other areas. And it's entirely possible to target those differences. The easiest example is insulin resistance. It's entirely possible to target insulin resistance in problem areas like your belly fat, just using exercise-induced muscle contractions in conjunction with other things like cold and you know the way you time things and the foods that are around that. So um, if I could do a plug, um, I have a course that by the time this is coming out, it should be out called Immune-Centric Fat Loss, where we kind of step through dealing with all this stuff from an immune-centric point of view. So it's the other half of the book. I I, I, the book would have been seven, 800 pages if I put all that junk in the book. So, and that's, it, it's meant to deal with these things. It's meant to deal with all this stuff. So that's my little plug. Yeah. So for listeners to best follow your work, learn more information, what links can we put out there? Oh, um, just go to veepnutrition.com and there kind of everything is there. Yeah. Follow, follow me on Instagram. It's uh, at real Joel green. That's green with an E on the end on Instagram. And I just started my Insta this year and it's, 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 it's taken off. So, um, and I'm, I try to do my best about every, you know, I'll get a lot of questions. It's getting where it's almost impossible to answer all of them, but I, I do my best. So, you know, you never know. I might interact there. You know, I'll do my best. So <laughs> it's the best way. To- Wait, I want to follow you right now. What was it? It's real Joel green. Instagram scares me. <laughs> I, I'm like really big in like my Facebook group and all of that stuff, but Instagram, I don't know and intimidating. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. Listeners, again, check out the show notes. The show notes will have a complete transcript of everything, which will definitely, definitely be helpful. The last question that I ask every single guest on this podcast, and it's just because I've come to appreciate more and more each and every day, how important mindset is surrounding everything, which is kind of full circle. We talked a lot about that, but what is something that you're grateful for? 
I'm grateful to have grown up in America. You know, I, I was not a, I grew up poor, you know, I had a single mom. We had, you know, she had three, three boys, one of them with Down syndrome. And we saw a lot of challenges growing up. And if I had been born any other place other than this country, my life would be completely different. And it's only because I was born in this country that I've had the opportunities I've had in life to educate myself and, you know, to meet just amazing people, work in an incredible industry and just, you know, contribute, you know, to the world. And, you know, we've got something really special in this country and uh, it needs to be protected and preserved because there's no other place like it. So I'm just grateful for this country. Nobody's ever said that. That's a really wonderful thing. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful for your work, for what you're doing. It's such a needed paradigm shift and you're providing such valuable tools that people can actually implement and make real lasting change. So thank you so much. Thank you, Melanie. I'm super grateful. So grateful. And, and hope we can chat more and maybe if you get out to California or vice versa, we'll, we'll hang out. Oh, yes, please. That would be that'd be amazing. I feel like I could talk to you for like 10 hours. We clearly can talk for three hours. So <laughs> we've got that covered. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you again in the future. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at melanieavalon.com. And always remember, you got this.